If you have your Bibles, please turn them to John chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 60 to 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of God. And thanks, Matt, for reading that word to us. You know, this, this pulpit had been broken for a few weeks. I don't know if you noticed that. It had been broken, and we were using something else. And, and, our, and our brother, Tim Kang, put this thing back together, bolted it back together so we can use it again. Thank you, Tim. And I, I told him I, I kind of like the idea of preaching from a broken pulpit because I think it's, it's a good metaphor for the preacher. I, I'm not joking. It really is. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we jump into God's word. Father, we ask that your word would be life to us today. Holy Spirit, we, we, what we can't see, please show us. And what we don't have, please give us. And what we are not in our lives, please make us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can you think of anyone who you once liked and trusted for a time, but then as you got to know this person better, that changed. The, the more you learned about them, the more you were turned off by them altogether. Or have you ever been on the other side of that? Someone you considered a friend for a time eventually seemed to lose interest in you and walked away from you. Do you, do you know the pain of that experience? Jesus Christ does too. Jesus Christ knows what it means to experience that. When we get to John chapter 6, Jesus Christ's fame and his following, they are still growing. And so is his, the, the hatred of his enemies. That's growing too. And, and, and then in verse 64 of John 6, the author tells us this, verse 66, After this, or at this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Even the people who had committed themselves to him were changing their minds. Many walking with him stopped walking with him and walked away. 
But amazingly, Christ isn't surprised by this change of heart. In fact, in verse 64, he says to a large group of so-called disciples, he says in verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. For, John, the author, comments, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. You see, before they walked away, Jesus knew that in their hearts they had already left them. Jesus knows their thoughts and he even knew where their thoughts were headed. We've seen this before, by the way. Back in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, the author tells us that Jesus knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You see, Christ didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature and human tendencies. He knew full well who it was that appeared to like him but would soon walk away from him. Don't you wish you knew who would give up on you in the future? Don't you wish you knew now who it was that would betray you down the line somewhere? What would you do if you did know? Well, Jesus, what he does is he continues to serve them. He continues to invest in them. Even the one who sells him out in the end, Judas Iscariot, even though he knew that he could not be trusted, Christ continued to engage him, to speak truth to him, to show love to him. As we sit here today, Christ knows your heart towards him. He knows where your heart is at now towards him, and he knows where it's headed, even if you don't. He knows my heart too. So what is your heart towards Jesus Christ now? Is your heart filled with love and trust for him? Or is it more or less skepticism? Maybe ambivalence? Whatever it is, today, today, Jesus continues to move toward you, to speak truth to you, and to show you love. Here's one way he's doing that. He's doing it right here through the Gospel of John, this book that we've been going through since back in April. Early on, I told you that John is doing two things in every single scene in this book. He's doing at least two things in each scene. He's showing us who Jesus is, and he's showing us what faith in Jesus looks like. That means that in every single scene, Christ himself is coming to you and he's showing you who he is and what it looks like to be a true disciple of his. And the question that we're faced with in each scene is, how will we respond? This scene today, it shows us at least three characteristics of a true disciple. Here's the first one if you're, if you're taking notes. A true disciple follows to the end. In other words, a true disciple perseveres. Follows to the end. It's the opposite of the kind of false discipleship that we see in, in many of the folks here in verse 66. Again, I'll read it to you. For this, from this time, or at this time, many of his disciples fell away and were no longer following him. 
But, as we read on, we'll see that some stayed. They stuck around and would stick around and would continue to follow until the end of their lives. A true disciple follows to the end. If you would identify yourself as someone who has believed in Jesus, what is it that has the potential in your life to pull you away? What do you see in your life that might have the potential to to keep you from persevering in believing? I guess there may be many things in our lives. But for these folks here in John 6, here's what it was. Look at verse 60. After Jesus had been teaching a large crowd for some time, it says this, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Christ had most recently, he had been teaching them that, that he is the bread of life. He was teaching them that true satisfaction and eternal life come by receiving him. In fact, in verse 51, he says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And and that right there sent the crowd into turmoil. Because listen, he's claiming to have come down from heaven. He's claiming to give eternal life. By saying these things, he's basically claiming deity. He's saying he's God. And then he uses this really graphic language in verse 53. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What claims He's saying without him, you don't have real life. And then he's making this seemingly preposterous promise to one day resurrect, to raise up everyone who does receive him. In verse 60 it says, And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What's the hard saying here? Basically, everything Jesus is saying here is a hard saying. And and hard here, it doesn't mean hard to understand. It means hard to accept. It means it's offensive. It's hard to swallow. Certainly, it's hard to understand, too, but that's not what the word here means. And notice, when they react to him, they don't react by saying, who can understand it? They don't say, who can understand it? They say, Who can listen to it? Jesus asks them, does this offend you? Because he knows it does. What does Christ teach and say to you that you find hard to accept? Hard to swallow? Is it it his claim to be God? Is it his claim that he raised himself from the dead? Is that what you stumble over and find hard to to accept? Or is it his promise to return one day to judge and, and to restore the world? These are all hard sayings. 
Maybe it's a little more practical and down to earth than that. Maybe you stumble over his teachings on sexuality and sexual purity. You find those teachings hard to receive. When he claims, for instance, that, that marriage is this, this the marriage is this binding covenant between a woman and a man, and, and that sexual intimacy must, must only take place within that marriage covenant, is, is what he says about that unpalatable to you and hard to swallow? Or maybe it's what he says, is it what he says about radical generosity? <laughs> Is it what he says about radical forgiveness? Loving your enemy and blessing those who curse you and pray for those who curse you, he says. What's the hard teaching that's hardest for you to swallow? Jesus never says that these aren't hard teachings, by the way. (laughs) He knows they are. And that's not the question. Whether they're difficult to accept or not is not the question. The question is, is he truly Lord? Because if he is, then he has the authority to speak these truths to us. And he's believable. He's trustworthy. If we receive him as Lord, then we have no choice to receive his words as true to us. Will you follow him and believe what he says, even even when it clashes with your own fallen, fallible sensibilities? Do you ever feel like Christ is demanding too much of you? You know, that's another reason I think people have walked away from him. Even in the Gospels, we see it work out this way. His demands are, are... too heavy, people might feel like. But frankly, I'm afraid that some people lose interest and trust in Christ because he has disappointed them. Has Christ disappointed you? When you look at how things are working out in your life and you say, I expected better than this when I decided to follow Jesus. You feel like he hasn't delivered on his promises now, the fact is, you may have come into this with, with some false expectations. It's possible that, that you've expected that your life would be more comfortable than it is or that, or that you'd have everything you, you, you desire. And those are promises that Jesus never makes, at least not for the here and now. But it's possible that the disappointment has started to drive you away from Christ because he has not met your expectations like that guy or that girl who, who seems great on the first few dates but then doesn't live up to those first impressions. The more you get to know them, you start to feel like you're not the person I thought you were. You talk to the talk, but I'm not seeing it in the walk. And this was a struggle for some of his 12 closest disciples. Struggling to feel like he, Jesus is disappointing us. He's not fulfilling his promises. And they, in many cases, had to wait to see those promises fulfilled in the future. So it was a patience issue for many of them. Patience to wait to see Jesus fulfill his promises. Or in some cases, they had to reevaluate what they considered to be promises. Their expectations of Christ had to be reworked. 
whatever the case is, whatever it is that has the potential to draw you away from following Christ, if you are a disciple and if you are a struggling disciple right now, if you're confused by what God is doing in your life, and maybe you're thinking, why, why am I facing these challenges? This is too much for any one person to bear. Why would a good God allow this? And you don't see any wisdom or good in it. You're tempted to give up believing that your Savior even cares for you. Has it begun to feel like you're starting to fall away? I said before, a true disciple keeps following but, but listen, this is, that does not mean that the true disciple's faith will always be steady and strong. No. We're going to see more of that later. But it does mean that in the end, that faith will persevere. It's a truth that's presented several places in Scripture, but we'll look at one place in 1 John 2, verse 19. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would not have continued. They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. What is John saying here? He's saying that those who have departed from the faith, who have departed from the community of God and will never come back, they've departed finally. It's because they were never really one of us to begin with. The faith that they lost was not the true disciples' faith, not the true saving faith of a true disciple. And and the very fact that they departed and never came back is an indication, as John says, that they were not of us. Again, that doesn't mean that someone who loves Jesus will always march forward through all the challenges of life and somehow there'll be no doubts No wrestling, just immovable faith. No, that's not what it means at all. But it means that you may keep wrestling at times, perhaps for a long, long time, wrestling with doubts and wrestling with what Christ teaches, wrestling with what Christ is doing in your life. If that's you, here's one encouragement I give you, keep talking to Jesus. Keep talking to him. Keep listening to what he says to you and what he says about you in his word. I can't emphasize that enough. The the more you feel like your faith is waning, the more you feel like you're departing and you're losing that belief, the more you need to just keep talking to him, listening to him. Again, we'll see more on that later, but if you truly love Jesus, you will not finally abandon him. And he will never turn his back on you because he is a shepherd who never walks away from his sheep. And that leads us right into the second characteristic of a true disciple of Christ. A true disciple gets their faith from God. You hear that? A true disciple gets their faith from God. It's a gift. And Jesus says as much right here. John 6, 65. He says, 
This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You can't come to me unless the Father gifts you, gives you the ability to come to me. And then in in verse 63, just two verses earlier, he says this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. You see, we can't manufacture, we can't work up true saving faith by our own human willpower. God the Father, God the Spirit Himself must give it to us. But we're not called to be passive in that either. And that's why I said before, if you're struggling to keep believing, keep talking to the Lord. Keep listening to what He says to you. Speak honestly to Him. All of those doubts, all of those questions, all of those fears, all of those disappointments, keep speaking them to Him. And keep listening to what He says to you. And as you do that, know this, He can restore your faith. The one who gives faith as a gift can restore deep faith. And if you never believed, if you've never believed before, he can change that too. Ask and keep asking. You you see, there's this tension here. The true disciple perseveres and the true disciple is preserved, right? The true disciple keeps following and the true disciple is, is kept, is held by Jesus. It's these two seemingly kind of paradoxical truths. But this is the fact. This is why we can sing these two. We can sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, and we can sing, He will hold me fast. Both are true. I've decided to follow Him. My hope is that He will hold on to me as I continue to seek to follow Him. You see, even in John 6, those who stayed and kept following Christ, they decided to do that. At the same time, Christ was holding on to them, keeping them. I can't explain how those two truths perfectly work together, but I'm awed by that truth, and I'm brought deep comfort by that truth, because on the one hand, it challenges me to keep following and keep believing me. On the other hand, it tells me, it's not up to you. I've got you, Christ says true disciple keeps following. The true disciple gets their faith from God. And then thirdly, a last characteristic, a true disciple has run out of options. A true disciple has run out of options. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, these are his twelve closest disciples, right? These are the ones that he chose and the ones that he's been investing the most time and, and with. And he says, do you want to go away as well? Are you going to leave me too, he says? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See what Peter's saying here? He's saying we've got no other options. (laughs) Where, Where are we going to go? I don't know where these folks are going, but i got nowhere else to go. He says, your words are life to me. Your words have given us life. We have come to be convinced that you are the Holy One sent by God. You see, the true Christian 
is someone who has seen the futility of the alternatives and has come to see Jesus as a last resort. Out of options, desperate, and Jesus is all I got now. We see this in different parts of the Bible. We see it in the, the, the story of the prodigal son. Some of you are familiar with it. Jesus tells this story about a young son who leaves his father's home, takes everything that he, that's his, that, he, that, that he's due as an inheritance from the father, rejects the father, says, I want your stuff, but I don't want you, leaves, wastes everything. And what happens? Eventually, he grows desperate he realizes that what he considered to be options for his life were not options at all. He's desperate. He's run out of alternatives. And the only thing he can do is go to his father. And what he meets with is welcome and love and a party. That is the testimony of every true disciple of Jesus. Oh, maybe you never ran off and wasted everything you have and ended up in a pig pen eating pig food. That's not the point. Maybe your life looked nothing like that in the details, but here's what I'm saying. If you have come to believe in Jesus Christ, it's because you've come to see that the alternatives are not true alternatives. And even as you continue to follow Jesus and you're tempted to test out those other options and test out those other alternatives for your life, alternative gods, you're going to find again and again and again. You're going to keep coming back again and again to this one realization. Really, I got nowhere else to go. None of these options pan out ever. We see it in, in the character of, of Saul, his, how his character is transformed. Saul, who became Paul, the apostle. When he's confronted by Jesus Christ, he had built a life for himself. He had built a reputation. He was living with purpose and goals. He was not lost, kind of floating through life, trying to figure out what to do with his life. Saul knew exactly what he was going to do with his life. He had purpose and goals, and he loved his job. When he came face to face with Jesus Christ, he realized these aren't options at all. I'm following him. It's, what's, it's, it's that truth that's in that song that we sing sometimes. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. What are we saying when we say that? All I have is Christ. We're saying, I got no plan B. <laughs> I've amassed other stuff and it's not worked out. Truly, when I'm in my right mind, I can say, all I have is Christ. It's in that hymn that we... Uh, we, well, we don't really sing it, but we, we can. This is him. Uh, 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 I'm blanking on, on who wrote it. Uh, Rock of Ages, I believe, is the name of him, though. There's a line in there that says, Thou must save, and thou alone. You must save me, and you alone. I've tried to save myself. I've looked to other things to save me. i got no other options but you. This is what Peter is saying here. This is Peter in his right mind, by the way. And, and Peter would waver from this point on. He'd fall. He would, in fact, look for other options. He would look for that same, you know what Peter would tend towards? That option, that, that's the, the, the look to the safety of, of approval of others. 
He liked safety, it seems. He liked approval, as far as we can see. And so when he's surrounded by people who hate Jesus, as Jesus is being tried, what does, Jesus, what does Peter do when he's questioned about his commitment to Christ? He denies Christ. And years later, another apostle has to confront Peter and pull him back on track because Peter was once again giving into that pressure to, to desire the approval of others, that, that pressure to, to, to that peer pressure in a sense to not follow Jesus. But the fact is that he keeps coming back. Again and again and again, he sees Christ as his only true option. So if you are, if you would identify yourself as a a follower of Jesus, what are your other options right now? What, what, what are those things that you keep around? Because you may want to go back to them if Christ lets you down. What are you prone to turn back to? There are other gods, there are other kings, right? Other, other lords that we might want to serve, but no one has the words of eternal life. Maybe, maybe if you're following Jesus, you are tempted at times to go back to an older life before you knew him. You start to think it was easier back then. I didn't have to fight sin. I didn't have these demands being placed on me by Jesus. Less accountability in my life. It was simpler back then. You see, we, we can actually start to get nostalgic about what it was like to not know Christ. And sometimes we need someone to, to wake us up and remind us where we were. I need to be woken up a lot to see that the gods that I followed and the choices that I made before I knew Christ, were, were they, they only led me to water that, that couldn't quench thirst and they led me to, to bread that, that never really satisfied. I need to be reminded again and again to stop going back. The book of Hebrews tells us we need people in our lives to tell us that and to remind us that and to wake us up out of that. Is there anyone in your life who does that for you? Who's tried to do that for you? Are there people in your life that you would like for them to do that for you? Reach out to them and ask. Tell them, I'm prone to wander. I can feel it. I need you, I need someone to be the spokesperson, the ambassador for Jesus to come and wake me up and remind me where I used to be and the fact that I don't want to go back there. To remind me that all these other options are false options. We like to keep our options open, don't we? Many of us fear commitment. I do. That's why it took so long to propose to my wife. Oh man, I, I, fear, I fear it. Less now than I did then, but I, I feared it. Even though I wanted something, I was afraid to commit myself to it. I always want to leave those options because who knows how I'm going to feel down the road. It's silly. Jesus calls us to give up all those options and come to him as a last and final resort. I want to end with just two bits of kind of application takeaways that we can walk away with here. Consider it practical 
advice for how we can walk out what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. They're both going to sound obvious, but sometimes we need to be reminded of obvious things. The first one is this, keep walking with Jesus. You see, how do we persevere? How do we keep believing? It's by walking with him. Just keep walking with him, remaining with him. Elsewhere in the Bible, the word abide with him is used. Practically speaking, that looks like talking with him, listening to him, hearing what he has to say for you every time you open his word and you, and you quietly and patiently say, Lord, speak to me. You walk with him by going through your life in dialogue, speaking to him because he's with you. You remain with him by constantly reminding yourself of who he is and what he's done for you. Intimate communion, fellowship. Look, you follow someone, at least when the word follow here is used of a disciple who followed a master, following a master as a disciple meant listening and obeying. Listening and imitating. Listening and Listening more. And this is how we remain. This is how we keep believing in Christ. In this, in this, in this scene, Jesus mentions Judas Iscariot. And what he says is chilling. Because what he says reminds us that it's possible to be around Jesus and not be walking with Jesus. Judas was around Jesus a lot. And yet at some point, he tuned out. And he went from being a follower to eventually down the road, becoming an enemy of the Savior. And it happened in increments. It happened slowly. It happened as he ceased to walk with this one. He was not following. He was there. He was with the crowd. He's standing and he's making eye contact and he's listening to Jesus and he's giving the right responses, but he had ceased to follow him. That is, he had ceased to listen and listen more and process and obey and believe. You know, where is Jesus walking here? We're talking about walking with Jesus, right? Where is Jesus walking here in John 6? Ultimately, where is he walking? All throughout the Gospel of John, from beginning to end, Jesus is walking to the cross. The cross where he would die for his followers. The cross where he would take the place of his sinful followers, take the wrath of God for them, suffer for them in their place, be buried, and then rise again. In a sense, what Jesus is calling us to do here as we follow him and walk with him is to abide at the cross. To abide at Jesus' final destination here. To remember and, and to recall, and not only to remember here, but to, to th- not only to think about, but to sing about and to talk about and to pray about and to meditate on what Jesus did for us on that cross. He has lots to tell us about it. 
We read the New Testament and we hear Jesus telling us more and more and more about what he did for us on that cross. If you are struggling to believe, when, you're, when your faith is weak and, and God feels very far away, if that's where you are, even now, l- listen to Matthew 12, 20. It says, There are bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking, smoldering wick he will not quench. You see, when following Jesus feels too hard, or, or, or your faith in Christ is it's kind of like a, a candle wick that's, that's nearly out, it's just smoking at this point. Jesus looks at you with love. So again, keep talking to him. Can't emphasize that enough. Keep talking to him. And if you have no words to say, the Holy Spirit is in you and present to communicate with him what you are unable to articulate with your own mouth. In your silence, in your moans, in your groans, of worry and pain when you're speechless before him. The Spirit prays with you and for you. Keep talking to Jesus. Take the Psalms, these, th- this wonderful book of prayers that we have right in this Bible, and, and pray these to the God that you are having trouble believing in. And you will find that the one who wrote those Psalms, the psalmist himself, yeah, he had trouble believing too. Take his words and make them yours as you pour out and you confess all of your doubts before God. And you will see that what God will do for you is he'll take you where he takes the psalmist over and over and over again. Many of these psalms, they start out with doubt and wrestling and fear and disappointment. And where do they end when you get down to the bottom? They end in praise and renewed faith and joy. Keep talking to Jesus. He will hold you fast because he loves you so. And then lastly, keep returning to Jesus again and again. We, we sing in that hymn, Come Thou Fount. Uh, you maybe know this line. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I am prone to leave the God I love. Are you prone to wander? We all are. We wander every time we sin. Every time we depart from where Christ is leading us, we're not believing, what, we're not believing that where he's leading us is good, and, and we're not believing that what he tells us is true, and so we're straying. Every time you look at porn, you're wandering from Christ. You're leaving the Christ you love. Every time you find your identity in your work, or in what you own, or what you've accomplished. It's the same thing. Every time you resort to anger, or or you give in to greed, or you succumb to that, that impulse to be selfish, in a million ways, you and I run away from Christ. And so here's what it looks like to be a true disciple of Christ. Keep returning. Leave sin behind and commit to follow again and again Don't get tired of repenting. Look at what Martin Luther said. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, 
He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. The entire life of believers should be repentance. Now, if that sounds kind of dreary and kind of like a bummer to you, maybe you don't understand exactly what he means. Let me, let me explain what that means. When we think of repent, we think stop doing that. Like repentance means stop sinning. Cut it out. What Martin Luther is talking about here and what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about repenting is turn around and go back to Jesus. Turn around and go back to the one you love. Is that somber? Is, is, is that about to turn around from what is worthless and go back to one who loves you? That's the life that Jesus has called us into. Turn away from unbelief and believe in Jesus again. You know, Judas Iscariot and Peter, these two apostles, they have a lot in common. But there's at least one difference between them. One of them kept returning to Christ. They both sinned. They both struggled with unbelief. One of them kept returning and kept going back. Judas was falling away long before he even knew it. He was already living in deceiving life. The Gospels tell us he was, he was stealing from the other from 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 the uh, the, the pot, you know, he's stealing from the money that they had raised. He was giving into selfishness and greed. He was living a double life. He was hiding it, hoping that no one would find out. Until finally he walked away and became an enemy of the one who he once claimed to love. You might say that some of the sins that Peter committed were more kind of out there and open. He he fell over and over again. And yet he kept going back. And Judas did not. I want to read this quote to you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's in a wonderful book called The Cost of Discipleship. He says, No one should be surprised at the difficulty of faith. If there is some part of his life where he is consciously, listen, if this is you, if there is some part of his life that he is consciously resisting or disobeying the commandment of Jesus, Is there some part of your life which you are refusing to surrender at his behest? If there's some sinful passion maybe, or some animosity, or some hope, perhaps your ambition or your reason, how can you hope to enter in communion with him when at the same point in your life you are running away from him? How can you hope to enter into communion with him? How can you hope to have your faith renewed, to see that joy of following Jesus restored? How can you hope to see that happen when at some point in your life you are actively running away from him? And that's what disobedience is. So you see what he's saying? That by living with these areas of disobedience that we're aware of, but we just kind of ignore, we're actually hindering ourselves from believing We're hindering ourselves from true communion with Jesus. So repent from those areas of disobedience. That's a call to all of us. And it's one way that we will keep believing in Jesus to the very end. If you identify as a follower of Jesus, i got one more big question for you. It's the one that Jesus asked in verse 67. He says, do you want to go away as well? Do I want to go away as well? Can you say like Peter, where else would I go? You are the Holy One of God. I've got no other options. I have seen that and I can't unsee it. 
And if you wouldn't identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, there's a question here for you too. Will you believe and follow him? In this scene and throughout the New Testament, we've got two categories of people again and again. You've got true disciples of Christ and you've got everyone else. There's this obvious duality. We can't get away from it. There's no neutral ground. There are people who receive Christ as Lord and those people have been promised resurrection and eternal life. And then there are people who reject Jesus and and they have this promise of death promise of judgment in hell. There's no neutral ground. And so that's why Elijah, back in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings, he comes before the, a crowd of people and he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But It says the people did not answer him a word. They did not answer, but the fact is, by not answering, they answered. By not answering, they continued to reject the love, the grace of God. Jesus is showing you who he is here. He's showing you what it means to be his disciple. In love, he's calling you to believe and follow him. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, please move us to faith, whether it's for the first time or it's renewed faith again. Draw us back to the one who loves us and keep us with him to the very end. In Christ's name, amen.